Gracious Lord, we ask that you would teach us more of your truth, more of your rhythms of grace, more of your ways, that you would help us to know, experience, and share more of your love in the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I grew up in, a, in an aviation family, and I, um, from the time I was like five years old, I was flying in little airplanes, and then I did all the stuff in high school, the solo, did all that kind of stuff. And then in college, I was a flight instructor. And one of the things about, that I carry from that whole season of my life and that whole experience is how pilots are trained to have a checklist in their mind that they practice, that they go through for when there's an emergency. So the idea is that when, when there's a crisis, you already know what you're going to do. You, you've practiced it. You're going to default to whatever you've been trained to do. And I want to talk about how that maybe comes into some other areas of our lives because all of us, sooner or later, are going to have an existential emergency. We are going to get hit in the face with pain and suffering. And what are you going to do at that moment? And I want to suggest that one of the really weird things about our culture and society and everything else is that we don't have a checklist. We don't have healthy things that we, we don't own and say, you are going to go through pain and suffering, and here are some things you can think about how to do it health, in a healthy manner. We just kind of let people bumble along. And a lot of times they'll end up here or they'll end up talking to us or this or that. But it's today I want to do something I've never seen done before, and I want to talk about that. Like, and it may be a really terrible checklist, but I bet it's better than the one you already have. <laughs> I'm just guessing. And I titled today's sermon A Spiritual Vitamin, because it's kind of like that. It may not taste great, unless you got the Flintstones, but, um, but, it's, but it's something that will strengthen you and help you in the future. And that's where I want to go with this. And, and I also want to say that one of the pet peeves I have about um, preachers is whenever they're preaching and they, they want to go into this bit where they talk about how they wrote the sermon. Well, I thought about putting grandma in this part, but I said, no, you know, and they talk about all the stuff behind the scenes. Just tell us, dude. And but I want to say this is a weird sermon for me because I will be a hypocrite and tell you. This is one of those sermons that has been brewing in me for about three or four years where I've just like, nobody ever speaks into this. And what are we going to do with this? And that's where I want to go today. And um, you got, if you're really on it, you got that the readings today were different than that. We got some exceptions made to be able to bring forth basically the reading from Good Friday into today. Because when we get to Good Friday and the sacred tritium and all that stuff, we're looking at Jesus in a different way. We're looking at how it fits in this whole flow headed towards the cross. But what I want to do today is look at Jesus as an example of somebody going through suffering and what we can learn from how he handles this time of agony that he goes through. And, you know, I think the reality of it is we all go through these kinds of things. I don't know if you remember the song back from the, the early uh, 1990s by R.E.M. They did a song, Everybody Hurts. Sometimes. And, and part of the lyrics in that song um, go like this. When your day is long and the night, the night is yours alone. When you're sure you've had enough of this life, well, hang on. Don't let yourself go because everybody cries. Everybody hurts sometimes. Sometimes everything is wrong. And now it's the time to sing along. Actually, the video is awesome because it's filmed in San Antonio. Um, on the, anyway, you can go look at it at some point. But the idea, I don't, think I, have to, I don't think I have to make a major point to get us to believe that everybody hurts sometimes. Everybody goes through these existential crises and pain and suffering at some point. 
And my question again is to go back to what equipment do we already have on board? What checklist do we already have on board about how you're going to deal with it when it happens? And that's what we're, we're, we're kind of going to look at. And when we start to approach the topic, there are two different um, aspects of this that always come up. One is the question of why, which is where everybody dwells. But the, but the second question is the how. How do I survive? How do I get to this? And the problem is when it hits you, it's hard to take all this on board like at the, at the moment. Like, can you imagine if you could go back to Sully and the Miracle on the Hudson, if he's like looking for the manual saying, what do we do again? And he's busy telling the guy, yeah, I think we're gonna end up in the Hudson. He says that from the get-go, you know, like he's, he's already way down the path and the checklist. But they are connected because whatever we think about the why does affect to some extent the how of how we deal with these things. And so I want to say a few things about that. But before we do, I want to uh, ask an interesting question. And today's sermon is I'm just trying to give you lots of things to think about. That's part of my goal today. But part of the question is, do we in the West, do we have it worse than other parts of the world? Because there's some people that think that we do. And the reason that people think this in part goes because you'll hear people talk about how Western culture is a secular culture. Or you look at some of the writers like um, uh, Charles Taylor in his age of uh, the secular age. He writes about the secular age we're in. He says, look, it's, it's a, it, people have a thin belief in God and Western culture. This idea that, that what really happens is people say um, there may be a God or not. We cannot know. There may be an afterlife or not, but we cannot know for sure. And we kind of go on with this, all this stuff where we're not sure. But the thing we can know for sure, the only thing we can know for sure is here. So we end up, we may still believe in God, put our stuff there, but we live deep down as if the only thing we can know for sure is here. So we want to make sure we're happy here. We want to make sure everything works out here because this is what we can know. And it affects how we experience things because there's no, there's not a whole way for us to say the chapter of suffering is something we need that's going to help us for the next thing in the next life, like much of the rest of the world has, whether you're thinking it's going to help you get to the next level of your reincarnation or whether it's going to help you transition to, you know, the, the universe's soul or whatever all these different things are. And I think about this, I don't know if you guys are fans of Philip Yancey, I am, but he wrote a number of books with Dr. Paul Brand and wrote about him in a number of ways. I think Dr. Paul Brand was one of his sort of father figures that he had. But Paul Brand was this great physician, surgeon. He and his wife, she was also um, a physician. They both moved early in their career to India, and they took care of people there who had leprosy. And they developed all these procedures and all the things that they did. But the second half of his career, he came to the U.S. And so he's got this contrast between Eastern way of approaching things and the Western way of approaching things. And one of the things he writes is about how he's living in the U.S. where people have all these creature comforts and all these things going on, but the people in the U.S. are more traumatized by suffering than the people that he's been exposed to in the East. And again, it's, maybe it's wrapped up in all this thing about where we are perhaps in the secularism that we take on board about it's got to happen here or it doesn't matter. Things for us to ponder and to think about I think before we go on to talk about the how, I feel like I don't want to dwell here, but I do want to give a placeholder on the why, the why of suffering. And, um, and this is one of those weird things. If you've, if you've read Tim Keller's book on suffering, he talks about how 
um, Christianity, people will, will come to suffering and they'll say, what's Christianity's answer? And they'll hear it and they're like, yeah, no, that doesn't answer it. And they want to, they want to say, so I'm not going to believe in God because I've been so hurt by whatever happened. And they give their story. But he says, look, that's not the right approach. What you need to do is look at what Christianity has to say about suffering and put it alongside all the other answers given in the world. And it may be inadequate. It may not be full, but it's the best. It's kind of like uh, the late Billy Abraham used to say about capitalism. He'd say capitalism isn't any good, but it's the best thing that's going. There's nothing better in the world. It's kind of what, what he would say. So I think it, we approach it, I think, with some of those things. So I'm going to give you my interpretation of what the part of the Christian, this isn't dogma, but what is the Christian answer to the why of pain and suffering? And I think the first part of that, we would say, we would own up front, this doesn't answer all the questions. This is, goes headlong into a place where we'll say this has got mystery in it. It doesn't mean that we're not able to speak into it. We can speak into it. There are things we know, but we don't, have, we don't know everything. Some of the road is paved, and some of it's just an open field. We don't have all the answers, but we do have some. And I think the, maybe the most important, I'm going to give like five things to think about, but maybe the most important is the next one, is to say we have a God who is not remote from our pain and suffering, but has entered into it. And sometimes you'll see people and theologians, people talk about how we have the crucified God. We have the God that knows what it is to have pain, to have hunger, to have thirst, to have things piercing his body, to be whipped, to be betrayed, to be spat upon. All, these, all the different kinds of angst the world can throw, he's tasted. No other religion has got the notion of a God who comes into the world and suffers and enters into suffering the way that Christians hold. And so whatever we want to say, it may not be satisfying whatever answer we're going to give about suffering. We start with this thing, whatever it is, God's in it. And along with that is that he's, he will be in it with us to strengthen us and encourage us and support us in whatever that emergency is, whatever that suffering is that comes our way, because it all comes to us. So that's the third thing. So it's, it's mystery. We have a God that's in it. We have a God that supports and strengthens us in it. I think the fourth thing I would say is it's also one of these things that if you surrender it and give it to God, he will use it for his glory. The last verse we read in that first reading is that all things work for good with those who love God and call it according to his purposes. If you surrender it, he'll use it. It'll, good can come of whatever heartache it is that we face or experience. And the final thing is, ultimately, Christians come down to a place of hope. That part of our answer about pain and suffering is the hope of what's to come. And I'm going to say more about that in just in a few minutes. So that's maybe, the other people would answer it differently. Andrew might answer it differently. People might answer it differently. But that's what I would say is part of the Christian answer about the why. But what I really want to focus on today is the how. How do we get through it? How do we survive that chapter that we get that's about pain and suffering? And ultimately, I want to encourage you to talk about this at lunch and ask yourself what would be on your checklist. The emergency hits you, you know, what is, what is, you get the diagnosis, you get the call, you get whatever it is, What's on your list? What's on your checklist? You don't have time to think now. What's on your list? And 
turning to that, I'm gonna, we're ultimately going to look at Jesus during this time. But before that, I also just want to say that um, this is not a scriptural thing. I just want to say the answer society gives us implicitly is not helpful because so much of our society will tell us what you need to do is medicate or distract. All these things that give us temporary relief, the alcohol, the um, distractions w with work, with shopping, with, I'll just say, uh, vice things or vanity things or, or whatever it is. I'll, I'll save some of these things from the tender ears. But there's all kinds of ways that we try to medicate or mask or distract ourselves from the pain that's going on. And it gives us some short-term relief. It will. But it ultimately will leave us in a worse place. So what's a healthy way? What are some healthy ways to think about dealing with this chapter? And that's where I want to head. And, and I think before we dig into what Jesus does during these, this time period that he's going to go through such intense suffering, is to maybe think about this for a minute, because you're going to see this or experience this yourself. When you get hit with a really big whop of uh, a big bunch of suffering, you get to choose how you're going to respond to that. And there are people, there are loads of people that I talk to who are, say they're atheists, ultimately because they've had some big experience and they, they say, well, there cannot be a loving God because of this. And their suffering took them that way. And then there's a whole bunch of other people that we talk to who go into suffering and that's where they find God. And we think about how like C.S. Lewis, who was not a stranger to pain, he talks about how pain is God's megaphone. How sometimes that's the only time people hear is during that pain. But I, what I want to say is how we respond to it can take us this way or take us that way. And it's ultimately, you're the one that's going to respond. And if we can, again, I want to get some stuff on board where I'm hoping you're going to go that way and find something deeper that God's in it, walking with you and is going to help you. And you're going to see a deeper place of your spiritual walk in your life as you go that way. And so we turn and we look at Jesus during this time. And the thing about it is we start looking at Jesus. He's headed towards Jerusalem. It's kind of weird because it's a one of, but, but he also knows what he knows it in advance. He's already told his followers what's going to happen. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. And I think there's probably 20 hours here that's really intense where he's going to go through all the stuff of the betrayal and the trial and the flogging and the ending up on the cross and dying. It's, it's maybe a really, really intense 20 hours. And so the, my question is, you know, and I imagine how hard it was for him, right? I think, I was thinking about this. I got a friend right now who's on her, her cancer journey and um, she was headed back this week to do, I think a second or third round of chemo. And I was thinking about how this was like, she knows what's coming. She knows the kicking she's gonna get. I'm filtering. She knows the kicking that she's going to get this coming week and she has to go. And I think that's what kind of, there's some of that with Jesus because he, he knows, he, he knows what's going to happen already. So when we talk about sweat falling in the garden like blood, he knows what's coming. But what does he do? How does he handle things? I want to walk through this sort of walking through these things we read in that passage. The first thing, he, look what he doesn't do. He doesn't withdraw to be alone completely, right? He, this whole episode starts out with him hanging with his friends. He's gathering with his friends. Now, one of them he knows is going to betray him, but he's with all his friends. He's continuing on this way. So that's the first thing. Like, I'm going to give a bunch of things, and I want you to think about what you're going to put on your list. 
I'm going to highlight a couple of them. But the first thing is he doesn't withdraw. He stays with his friends. And then the next thing we see is that he is there for a Passover meal. So he's continuing with his religion. He's continuing with his ritual. He's continuing with his schedule. He keeps going as he, does, he celebrates a Passover meal. And of course, it's not just a Passover meal because it's going to take on new meaning. That's another sermon. And he continues in the middle of all this agony that he's got and he knows what's coming. He still continues to bless people. He continues to teach and love and, and he's blessing, washing their feet. He's doing all this stuff. He's continuing to bless people as he goes along with all the, all the different things that he does. And we think too about um, how he hangs with them, how he ultimately gets his inner crowd that stays with him. And even before that, um, this, this part's a stretch. I'll own it. This part is a stretch. We don't exactly know where the upper room was, so we don't know how far away the garden was. So some people will say, if you look at historic um, Jerusalem at the time and you go to the center and you go to the garden, then maybe it was a mile. But I want to say Jesus got outside and he went for some exercise. But he did a, maybe a mile walk. He went from the upper room to the garden. So maybe that's part of what we put in when we're in crisis. We're going to get outside. We're going to do some exercise, whatever. But he gets to the garden, and there are lots of things that go on there. He's got there an inner circle of people that support him. He's got Peter, James, and John who are with him. And he's going to get some time on his own because he needs that for prayer. I'll say more in a minute. But he's got this inner circle. And I think for sure one of the things I would highlight on my list of what I'm doing in the middle of pain and suffering is I want to already have an inner circle of the people I'm going to call who are going to come with me. People are going to call. And they don't have to say anything. They can just sit at the gate of the garden. I'm good. But I want an inner circle. And I'm not trying to get that in the middle of the crisis. I already have that. I want that just like Jesus did. Or um, we can think about all the different ways that he um, functions once he gets there. How he goes into a time of prayer. The whole time we see him praying with his father through his time in the garden. And so that's another thing, highlight it. Stay in prayer. I'll say more on that in a second. And along with that is how honest he is. Like this is Jesus, right? And Jesus is saying, I don't want this. Let this cup pass from me. He's pouring it all out. He's, he's weeping. He's putting out his heart to God. And I, the, I think one of the worst things we can do in the middle of pain and suffering is try to pretend it doesn't exist. And that is definitely one of the things our culture wants to teach us also. Don't talk about this. You know, don't tell us about the negative stuff. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm really crappy. I'm suffering. But no, I'm okay. We don't want to go to that place. But pour it out before God. Be honest. Be willing to weep. I think both in prayer and on this notion, the Psalms are such a gift to us. Because the Psalms will teach you to be honest with God, to yell out at Him, like, where are you? You know, all these different things. And even some of the Psalms that end with no resolution. Like there are lots of Psalms where the, where the psalmist will complain against God. It's miserable. Where are you? All this stuff. And the very end, he'll say, but I trust you. I know you're going to make it right or whatever. But there are at least a couple songs that, that just end in the dark place. And a lot of the biblical scholars say, maybe God gave us those to say, some of these dark places can go on for a long time. Maybe that's part of it. But God stays with us in those places. I think the other thing that we highlight and underline on that checklist is to double down on trusting God. Because, you know, Jesus prays honestly. He pours out his heart and he says, let this cup pass. 
but he says, not my will be done, but yours. It's an act of trust. And a lot of people will say that one of the things we take on board in our spiritual walks is we learn who God is for the things that we know so that we can trust him on the things that we don't understand. We carry that trust into these times. And I, I think one more thing I would say on this is to notice how Jesus stays focused on his mission and call. He is, I mean, it's a night, he knows he's gonna die in the next 24 hours and he's still teaching. And he's, not only is he teaching, but now he's bringing it to a climax. Like he's telling them, go read John 15 about love. And he's he washing their feet and telling them, this is, I'm setting you this example. You're to be known for your love. You're to be about love. Like he's all about the mission. And he keeps going with this all the way. And if you remember his very last words, absolute last words, it's finished. Like he's, he's carrying this mission to the end. And I think for all of us, we can get so distracted with poor us or whatever's going on without thinking about what's our call, what's our mission. How do we continue to live into it and let it unfold even as we go through these hard chapters? Well, the final thing that I wanna say that's like double, get the different color highlighter out is not something that Jesus, we see Jesus model specifically today, but it's, but it's certainly the Christian witness through the ages. And that is the place of hope. That through always in suffering, the big double underlined one is we hold on to hope. And at the end of the day, when we're talking about hope, it, it's holding on to a vision of something better, of what God has for us and where he's taking us. I like the way Adam Hamilton, this one pastor, he always describes hope by saying, whatever your worst day of your life is, that's not the last word. That's part of how we see hope. That's a simple, direct way. There are other ways. You know, one of my favorite authors um, is uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky and the brothers Karamazov, <clears throat> who is a fascinating book if you've not read it, because part of it, Peter, pe people like Peter Kreef will say, the strongest argument against God is in it, where he talks about the girl crying in the, in the outhouse and all that stuff. But the words of Ivan later are ones of hope, a much much more evolved than what Adam Hamilton's is. But this is what he says. And people think this is Ivan speaking in the Brothers Karamazov, but people say this is probably what Dostoevsky thought himself. He says, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for, that all the humiliating absurd absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, that in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. Or the final one that we might say is the one that was the very first verse we read today in the first reading, where St. Paul says in Romans 8, reminding himself of this. He says, for I reckon that the suffering of the present time, time is not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed for us. We keep the image of this glory in front of us as part of how we live out hope. My prayer today is that at lunch and as you go forward, before you're in that place of crisis, that you'll have your checklist of what are we gonna do? And what is Jesus's example as he faces these 20 hours? And maybe as you look at that list, I'm gonna suggest that hope and prayer and focus 
and trust are some of the big ones for sure that are on your checklist that you're going to turn to when that time comes. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us and you call us on a, a journey with you. And Lord, we live in a place where we see pain and suffering. We see hurt. And that's part of where we live. We thank you that you have come amongst us and dwelt in the middle of that pain. That whatever can be said, we have a God that loves us and comes into it. We pray that you would equip us and help us for whatever hard chapters we face. That as we live these hard times, we'd give you glory and give a witness to you and to the goodness of all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.